Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18. The Bible says this, Jesus, before he ascended. Uh, actually, I'm going to begin back at verse 16, if you would. I'm reading from an English standard version of the Bible this morning. If you have a new King James or a traditional King James, uh, we'll get to the same place together. Amen. And so uh, it says in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you to the end of the age. Therefore, Jesus is saying, he's not saying, go out there and spread my word and, uh, you know, good luck and come back and report to me, as some leaders do. But Jesus says, go, but guess what? I'm with you every step of the way, every step of the way. I want you to turn to a couple of other scriptures with me this morning. Old Testament, turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. And then I want you to also, as you turn there, put a marker in Numbers chapter 27. We're going to look at those couple of scriptures this morning. 1 Kings chapter 3. And then I want you to put a marker in Numbers chapter 27. You know, Jesus uh, told his disciples and therefore telling us, uh, that he, he told us, listen, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How many know that Jesus uh, not only calls us overcomers, but he gives us the power to be overcomers? You're already an overcomer. God wants us to walk in that. He wants us to walk in that whole thing. And I think for us, sometimes we hear those messages that we're overcomers and we're kings and priests and we're peculiar people and we have power and we just kind of go without the knowledge. But God is saying, hang on a second, I want to train you. <laughs> I want to spend some time with you. I want to show you how to do this thing. And so this morning we're going to talk about let us come in. Let us come in before we go out. Amen? Let us come in. And so the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about going, but this morning we're going to talk about coming in and then going out. I, I want to uh, look at a phrase here that I've read in the Bible over the years, and I never really, I saw it, and I just kind of passed by it and read over it, and I never really knew what the phrase meant. Let me ask you this question, because we're going to talk about him a little bit. Solomon uh, you know, Solomon, what did he uh, ask the Lord for? What did Solomon ask God for? Anybody know? Wisdom. Wisdom. That's a good question. That's a very good answer. But the better question is why? And I think he, we're going to see that this morning, why he actually asked him for wisdom. So look here. Uh, you know, God said, I'll give you a wise and understanding heart, and we know that that means wisdom. Look here at 1 Kings chapter 3, look at verse 5, and the Bible says, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you, and you have kept him from this great and uh, you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. 
And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of or in place of my father David. Although I am but a little child, I do not know. Watch, here's what he says. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And then obviously he goes on to say that your people are too numerous and uh, please give me a wise and understanding heart. We know that that's the wisdom. But the reason why he asked it is right here. It's, it's key. He said, listen, I do not know how to what? Go in, go out, or come in right there in verse 7. And I, I've, I've always read that and I thought, you know, uh, what really is Solomon saying? What does he mean? Flip back to Numbers, Numbers chapter 27. And we're going to look at an instance of Moses. We're going to look at this phrase in another place in the Bible. And here, uh, you know, I don't know if, if, uh, if he was, you know, Solomon was, had a problem with doorknobs. I don't know what that was about. Obviously, we know that's not what he was talking about uh, because this phrase is in the Bible. Uh, but this is where Moses is talking about God uh, placing a new leader. All right, Moses is getting old, and he, he, he wants God to place a new leader. Look at uh, verse 15 here in chapter 27 of Numbers. Uh, it says, uh, Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. Now look at what he says here. Who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in? that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So he's saying, look, we're about to get a new senior pastor here. And my only request, Lord, for this new leader over this congregation is that he be able to go out and come in. And you would think if Moses says those words, if Solomon says those words to God, it, they must be important. Let me just read, you can stay right there. Let me just read you a couple more scriptures. Deuteronomy 31.1, then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. He said to them, I am 120 years old today, and I can no longer go out and come in. In other words, I'm not able to lead you any longer, not just because I'm old, but because I can no longer go out and come in. Here's his retirement message. <laughs> to all of Israel, and he's saying the reason I'm retiring is because I cannot anymore go out and come in. If I could just get through some doors, obviously that's not what he's talking about, but he's saying if I could still do this, I would still be your leader. But since I can't do it, I'm going to ask you to put someone else in and that they might be able to go out and come in. Remember Deuteronomy 28, 6 says, uh, blessed shall you be when you what? Go out and when you come in. Blessed are you when you come in and blessed are you when you go out. We might have just thought that meant leaving the house and coming back to the house. In John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. And so you begin to see that this phrase is all through the Bible. That's New Testament now. Go out and come in. Go out and come in. Joshua 14, 11, he said this, and yet I am as strong. Now, this is Caleb speaking to Joshua. He said, Caleb said, and yet I am as strong this day because we need to know what, this, what these phrases mean. What does this mean? And here, here, here Caleb will tell us. And yet I am strong, as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war for both going out 
and coming in. So these are military terms, going out and coming in, and they refer to warfare. Here's what Moses said. He said, we need a new leader who knows how to go out. And in other words, I, we need a leader who, who knows how to take our troops and our congregation out to war. And we need, to, we need a leader who knows how to bring them back in from war as well, how to come in and go out. Solomon said, my father knew how to do this. How many know that David was a great worshiper, but he was also a great military man as well? He was both. And so, uh, you know, remember, everything in the Old Testament, for, uh, Corinthians chapter 10 tells us, everything in the Old Testament is a type and a shadow for us here in the physical, for us here in the spiritual. So I have a question for you this morning. Are we in a war, a spiritual war? Are we still in a war? Yes. Yes, we are in a war spiritually. And so we need to know how to come in and how to go out. And I believe this is not just a random phrase that God threw in the Bible, but it's something that we need to know how to do as a church and as a people. We need to understand this principle of coming in and going out. And I believe you'll understand why here in just a minute. But let me just give you a, a word for both of these terms, coming in and going out. And, and I think we'll understand it just a little bit better. Uh, because we're obviously not talking about physically fighting. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and power. So it's, it's a spiritual war that we're fighting. And so we need to understand, coming in refers to worship, and going out refers to witnessing. The reason that they would come in from war, there would be soldiers out fighting, and the reason why they would come in from war, uh, and, and when they came in from war, they would always go into the temple, or they would always go to an altar where they could give a sacrifice, and they could just be refreshed, and they would come into God's presence, and they would get some rest, and they would build up their strength, and then they would be able to go back out. And so they were able to come in, and they were able to worship God. And sometimes, even when a war continued for a long period of time, uh, the leaders would send some of the troops back in, and, and some of the warriors back in when they were tired, and they would send them back in and say, go to the altar and sacrifice and get in God's presence. And so it refers to worship coming in. We're talking about worshiping this morning. And the reason they would go out in the first place is because they represented the almighty God. And they would go out and they would war against other nations to show everyone else that God is the God of the whole earth. And I believe if other nations would have repented and turned to God, then there would have been peace. But they didn't. They were out witnessing. <laughs> Come on. They were out warring. They were out showing everyone that our God is the God of all of the world. Come on. Now, go to your right again in your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're talking about coming in and going out, and specifically this morning, coming in. And so we just established that coming in means worship. Now, watch this, talking about his father, David. 1 Samuel 18, beginning at verse 12. Now, now watch, listen now. We're talking about David. We're talking about Solomon and his view of his father and what he wants to do. Uh, but let's go back a little bit and look at David's life here. Verse 12, the Bible says Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him 
but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him commander of thousands. And he went out and came in before the people. There it is again. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David for, here we go, listen now, watch it. For he went out and came in before them. Saul was afraid of David because David knew how to come in and go out before the people. David knew how to worship God with his whole heart. And he knew how to go out and show the rest of the world that God was the God of the world. He was a leader. He showed people how to come into the presence of God. David was one of the greatest worshipers of all time, but he was also a great warrior. He was also a very great warrior. All right, so I want to show you three things about worship. This week we're talking about coming in. Let us come in. And listen, God, God is, he's, he, when he, when he's, next week when we talk about go out, we're not going to come into the presence of God and go out from the presence of God. We're going to come into the presence of God and go out with the presence of God. And we'll see that. But number one, worship brings God's presence into our lives. This is what worship does, and it's why it's so important. Here, here's what I want to say about worship. is I, So many of us miss it. So many of us miss worship. You know, I, I am, I'm, I'm so happy that when we come to church, we get refueled. And a lot of us think, oh, it's just the word was so great. And we got a, today we had a good word. It was better than last week. It wasn't, that was okay. But this week was a good word. And now I'm ready for the week. And how many know it doesn't have as much to do uh, with the world? The word is important, obviously. But the word is a part of our worship experience. If you don't come into God's presence and learn how to worship God with your whole heart, you're missing a big part of your experience with God, no matter what kind of word you get. It won't take root in your heart. You could get a great word from Billy Graham, T.D. Jakes, or whoever it might be that gives a great word, and it will not take root in your heart because you have not uh, tilled the ground of your heart with your worship experience. Come on, somebody. You have not softened your heart. You have not come into his presence and said, Lord, I surrender all. Here I am to worship. I'm here for you. Anoint my ears that I might be able to hear what you're really saying and not just hear the words of a man or a woman. I want to hear your words and I want them to take root in me. And that's what worship does, but how many times do we come in to worship and we hear maybe songs going, but our mind goes to somewhere else and we sing a couple words, but next thing we know the song's over and we can't figure out how we got through the whole song because we were thinking about what happened yesterday or what we have to do this week. It's a trick of the enemy. He does, and I know it happens to all of us. I mean, I can't speak for you. I can, it happens to me. I'll just tell you. I'll just be transparent with you. It happens to me. The enemy tries to get my mind so many other places. I, you know, just a side note, I tell you, even when I'm up playing the keyboard sometimes, my mind starts to go to other, I start to think about the message when I'm playing the keyboard. And that's the time you should be worshiping. God said, don't worry, I got the message. I'll get the message through you. But right now, it's time to worship. This is such an important part. We can't miss it. Worship brings God's presence. Remember we, what we just read in verse 12. You don't have to go back there, but just in verse 12, we just read it. It said that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. 
Verse 14 said, David behaved wisely in all his ways because the Lord was with him. I'm telling you, there is nothing you can't overcome, not just witnessing, not just going out. I mean, this is just the base. This is not your whole life. This is just the base. 20, Matthew 28, uh, 19, this is just the base. This is your reasonable service that Paul was talking about. This is the least you can do because God wants to bless you more than you could ever imagine. And he wants you to be able to share that with others. This is just the base. But the Lord was with him. And so we don't go out without the presence of God. We go out with the presence of God. And David understood what it was to be with God. This is we're talking about coming in and going out. This is, this is very important. There's no reason for you to go out without the presence of God. There's no reason for you to go out until you come in. Now, I know we've been talking about go for the last number of weeks. We've been talking about the go heart. Do you really have a heart for others? Do you really have a heart for others? I mean, it's one thing to say it, but a tree is known by its fruit. And when I, when I use fruit in this particular instance, I'm not talking about how many people you've brought to Christ or how many people you, but I'm talking about the life you live. Are you living up to what your heart is? Do you really love others? Do you really care? So we, we talked about going out, and we talked about how you go out with the power, but there's no reason to go out without the presence of God. You don't go out until you first come in. Why? Because you have nothing to go with. I can tell you, you, you can go, but you'll start arguing with people, you'll start having debates, and you'll get, no, you'll get nothing but frustration. <laughs> Jesus said to the disciples, go into all the world. But before you go, remember, remember what he did. Before Matthew 28, 19, he said, before you go, go to Jerusalem and do what? Wait, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. Paul was great. Paul went with Silas. Paul went with Barnabas. He took John Mark on missions trip with him, and he turned, uh, the, he turned that part of the world upside down. But guess what happened before he went out? He went to Antioch. And he worked, and he taught, and he listened, and he waited. And God shared with him. Some went, and some were just, some, some were sent, and some just went. Come on. But you have nothing to go with if you go out without the presence of God. I remember a man talking, giving a story about the church he grew up in. And uh, I could kind of relate to this a little bit because I grew up in a small church. And he, he was talking about this small church that he grew up in. And uh, there weren't very many people in the church, maybe 50 people, uh, you know, attended the church on a real good day. And uh, what happens is he said whenever he came to church, the pastor was there to greet him. The pastor was already there at the door. You know, welcome. It's uh, glad to have you at church uh, this morning. Glad you could come this Sunday. And so they went through their worship service and went through all of that. And then at the end of the service, where was the pastor? He was at the back of the church. Glad, thank you for, uh, you know, coming to service today. You know, have a good time this week, and uh, we'll see you next week. And he, he, was, he was a little boy when, uh, as he's telling this, uh, when he's telling this, he's talking about when he was a little boy growing up. And uh, he, he was saying that uh, one day he looked back at the pastor, and after they had left, he saw the pastor close the door and lock it. He thought he lived there. He said, the pastor must live in that church. Uh, you know, he's just always there. And uh, you know what, and it's great if there's, you know, the small churches and, and churches that are able to do that. Uh, you know, I think that that's just a great thing. Uh, but I think that some of us have that impression of Jesus. 
that we come to church and Jesus is there uh, welcoming, welcoming us into the church and, you know, welcome, you know, I'm glad that you're here. And then when we leave, you know, he's there at the door. Hey, great, I want you to go, go into all the world and, uh, you know, listen, you got power, you can do this. Well, Jesus, do you want to come with us? Well, no, I've already been out there. I, you know, I, I, that didn't work out so well. I think I'll just stay in here, you know. And I, I think that's our impression of, of Jesus sometimes. But obviously Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> that's not him. Uh, when he says go, he's right with us. He's right with you the whole time. I remember being real small, and uh, I went over to my grandmother's house. And uh, her boyfriend at the time, Grandma Shayla, and uh, her boyfriend at the time uh, took me over to a ball field, and uh, he said, all right, we're going to run the first base. And I, I must have been maybe five or six years old. I don't know why I have such a vivid memory of this. And he said, all right, I'm going to show you how to bat and hit and run the first base. And so what happens is he threw me the ball, and I hit it, and I just stood there. I said, yeah, I hit the ball. It was great. And he said, run. I was thinking, well, run for what? Nothing's chasing me. You know, I, I didn't get the concept of, you know, baseball and how it worked. So what he had to do was he pitched the ball to me, I hit the ball, and then he came up to me and he said, come on, let's go. And he ran with me all the way to first base. That's what Jesus does for you. He pitches you the ball, he wants you to do something, hit it, take it in, and he says, come on, let's go. He's right with you. There's no reason for us to go out without the presence of God, but you'll do it if you don't first come in to worship. We must come in to worship first. Come on. And, you know, Solomon, what he was talking about, what David was talking about, what Moses was talking about is that we have to learn to come into his presence, but we need to learn how to go out with his presence as well. Let me read you one more verse, Jeremiah 17, 19 to 22. Thus the Lord said to me, go and stand in the gate of the children of the people by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out. Here we go again. By which the kings of Judah come in and go out. And in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say to them, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take heed to you yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath, as I commanded your fathers." Why did God put such emphasis on this, on the Sabbath? I don't want you carrying anything on the Sabbath day. A lot of people, you know, look at the Sabbath and they, uh, we come to church on Sunday so they think the Sabbath day is Sunday, but the Sabbath is really Saturday, always has been and that has never changed. Uh, and we know that, but we know also that Colossians tells us uh, that it is uh, also a type and shadow of the rest that God wants us to enter into, that eternal rest, all right? Uh, and so, but... Listen, here's what I believe God was saying. I believe he was saying, I want at least one day a week where you admit to me you can't carry it on your own. You lay down the burden of your family. You lay down the burden of your business. You lay down the burden of school. You lay down all of those burdens, and you admit to me that you cannot do it on your own. You lay down the burden of your kids. You lay down the burden of your parents, whatever it might be. You lay all of that down, and you just, I want you just to come and worship before me. This, the Greek word for worship is proskuneo, and that, that's where we get prost, you know, prostrate, lay prostrate before the, the Lord. It literally means to put your face to the ground. And interestingly enough, there's a Hebrew word, I can't pronounce it, but uh, it also, it means the same thing. The, the word in Hebrew means the same thing. 
Uh, it, it literally means to lay out before the Lord. For Hebraic perspective worshiper, uh, it means the act of getting down on one's knees, placing the face down on the ground before another who is worthy of respect. So to me, really, here's what it means. It means surrendering everything you are. When we come in to worship, to worship the Lord, he's saying, surrender, surrender everything you are to me. I want it all. I don't want part of you. I want everything. And you're busy during the week. I know you're busy with your job and you're busy with your family and you got all these things going because you're so important. And God is even saying, I get all that. I see how important you are. But I want at least one day where you come before me. I want some time set aside even where you come before me and you give it all to me and you say, I can't do it. Solomon had to admit it. My father David knew how to do this. But he wasn't born knowing how to do it. My father David knew how to do this, come in and go out. I don't know how to do this. He admitted, and God made him the, the wisest man who ever lived. Wouldn't it be something if we literally bowed down before God, if we literally laid our burdens down and admitted to him that we cannot handle it on our own? It's amazing. It's amazing. And I think that for many of us in our heart, we want to do that sometimes. I'll just tell you a story. I remember one time I went to Mississippi with Pastor Lou from this church. Went to Mississippi, and, uh, it, you know, it was down in the south. And uh, so we, you know, we went to church, and, I mean, we, we got up with uh, a pastor down there at, you know, 4.30 in the morning and went over to his church and, uh, you know, prayed. And, you know, and then and after that came back and went to breakfast, and I just talked with them, and I was soaking up all this stuff. And uh, we had great church services over there. I got to play organ and do all this kind of stuff. And then Sunday night, we went to a church that was like way out in the sticks. And I had had such a good experience up to this point because even at breakfast sitting with them, I'm telling you, these two men that I was sitting with talking, it was just like everything they were saying. You know, it's like I was saying yesterday to you. It's like they'd say, you know, uh, Noah put animals on the ark. I'd go, oh, I never looked at it that, man. You know, I mean, just like everything they were saying was like such a revelation. You know, Pastor Blades and Pastor Lou, and they get to talking. And uh, so up to this point, I mean, just everything I was just soaking in, and I wasn't saying a word. I was just, and I just had such a great time in the presence of God. I was growing so much. And we went to this Sunday night service to this church way out in the sticks. And the pastor's first name was Michael, and the associate pastor's last name uh, was Carter. So I felt an immediate connection, you know, to this church. Uh, and so got to this church, and it was the most unorthodox, uh, unconventional service I think I've ever been to. I mean, I think church, I think the sign said the evening service started at 6. We got there about quarter to 6, and about 7, everybody was still kind of standing around talking. And finally, the pastor got up and just started kind of testifying and saying some stuff. And then uh, he got done with that, and somebody sang a song, and it was just like, well, what is, you know, what's going on? And then the pastor came back and said, we got some visitors here, and there's a guy here. He said, my name is Michael, and, uh, you know, his last name is Carter. That's Michael Carter, so come on up, share some stuff with us. And I was going, what, you know? And so I'm... You know, I got to share and all of that. But in all of that, we, were, we, were, we got to a point where we were singing some songs and we were worshiping. And I felt so full of the Spirit. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm just going to lay prostrate before God. I'm just, or I'm just going to get on my knees. I mean, I'm not at home in my home church where people can't see me. I won't be embarrassed. You know, these are the kind of things that's going through my mind. What I'm trying to show you is how Satan gets us off track. 
But, you know, and these are the things. I'm, nobody's around me. Pastor Lou, he don't care. I mean, you know, he kisses everybody. And so, you know, he's, he can, you know, he don't care. And so uh, I said, I'm just going to do that. I'm just, I, and I was working my, my, you know, I said, I'm just full of the, why would I not do this? I'm just going to lay down before the Lord. And everybody else is doing all kind of stuff. I'm just going to do this. And I tell you, I started, I bent down like this just in the presence of God, was on my way down, and this thought came through my mind. Your underwear's showing. <laughs> It wasn't, but that's the thought, you know, and I, I mean, but these are, the, this is what Satan does. This is what he does. This is what he does. He puts different things in your mind. He does everything to get you off track. True story, by the way, to get you off track. I did it anyway. <laughs> he does everything to get you off track. We got to push through all that. What I'm saying is God has called us to go out and we can't go out until we come in. We can't be an effective witness until we know how to worship. So worship brings God's presence. And here's the second thing. Worship brings God's fear in our lives. Now, I know that uh, a lot of people have an understanding of the fear of God, and we talk about the fear of God, and it's, it's, it's awe, right? It's reverence. It's honor. It's all of those things. That's what the fear of God is. We know that. But here's a part uh, of the fear of God that I think we don't think about sometimes. Because remember... Uh, you know, earlier we were talking about David and Saul, and the, and the Bible says that Saul feared. Yeah, you can put those up there. All honor, Sarah, that's good. Uh, you know, and not only uh, God's spirit had left Saul, but an evil spirit came upon him. Remember that? And then, but you remember how they remedied that? David brought his heart, and he began to worship the Lord. He began to sing and play. And he began to worship God. He began to worship him. And that's what made the evil spirit depart. But here's, a, here's you know, when it says that it brings, when I say that God, it brings God's fear in our life, the Bible says that Saul was afraid of David. But really, he was afraid of David because the presence of the Lord was with David. I mean, he wasn't afraid of David, just the man or the ruddy boy. He was afraid of David because the presence of the Lord was with him. And so we must understand also that there's a fear of the Lord that's all honor and respect for us. But you, when you walk with the Lord, God also brings a fear to your enemies through you. You ever seen one of those uh, old movies? Maybe there's a movie where uh, a little boy is, you know, walking home from school and there's these three bullies that come up. You know what I mean? And they, uh, they're, they're going to bully him. I mean, they're, they're going to knock him out and take his lunch money or whatever it might be. I guess he's walking home from school, so he already spent his lunch money. But whatever he had left over, they're going to, you know, take his book bag and they're going to beat him up. And right where they get ready to pound him, maybe he's got a real good friend who's on the football team. And his other friend happens to come up and say, hey, what's going on here? And they said, oh, nothing. We were just, uh, we were just getting his coat uh, together and making sure he was okay to go home, you know. You ever seen a movie like that or a situation like that where somebody comes up? That's, that's what God is for you. You go out and you face the fiercest enemy, the devil, Satan. Come on. You can't defeat him on your own. But when we have the presence of God with us, he, the, your enemy is afraid of the presence of God. And so I'm not talking about making... People, flesh and blood, fear because we fight against powers and principalities. But when God is with you and the presence of God is with you, your enemies flee from you. Your spiritual enemies will flee. It brings a fear. It brings an all honor and respect for us to God, but it brings a fear to everyone else. Come on, Saul was afraid of David. Really, he was afraid 
of the presence of God. That's what it brings. People are, the devil's not going to be afraid of you. He's going to be afraid of you with Jesus. He's going to be afraid of Jesus with you. That's the way Jesus is, I'm telling you. Talking about, we don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's the third thing. Worship brings wisdom to our lives. Worship brings wisdom to our lives. Remember back in verse 14, it says, David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Have you ever needed God's wisdom in your life? Have you ever needed God's wisdom in a situation in, on your job or in your home or where it concerns your health? Come on, or uh, whatever it might be. You ever needed God's wisdom? In the, it's the presence of God that brings the wisdom of God. And you know what we do very often? What we do very often is we'll go into our prayer closet and we'll pray a prayer. God, give me your wisdom because here's the situation and that's what's happening and here's what's going on and I thank you for your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. And we leave. And I imagine God's there saying, man, I was just getting ready to give you some wisdom, but you left. <laughs> you asked me for it. <laughs> you told me the situation. I have your remedy, but you left. I guess you know how to do it. God's saying, come into my presence. Sometimes it's just getting into his presence. Sometimes we don't have to tell God everything that went on in our life. Sometimes. I mean, I know it's okay to get off your chest, but there's times with God, because God already knows. Yes, he wants to hear from us. Yes, he does. But, but there's sometimes when you, God, you just need to go into the presence of God and say, you know, you know, Lord, just start singing. Just start worshiping God. You know, you already know. And you know what he's saying? Yep, I know. Come in and worship me. If you lift me up, I'll lift you up. If you lift me up, I'll lift you up. What did we say last series? If you, if you help me build my house, I'll build your house. That's true for this as well. If you lift me up, I will lift you up. It's the presence of God that brings wisdom. Think about it this way. Who is the wisest man that ever lived? It's Solomon. And now we know why. Because he said to God, I don't know how to do these two things. That's why he was the wisest man to ever live. I don't know how to come in and I don't know how to go out. But if you'll just show me those two things, Lord. God said, yes, I'll make you the wisest man that ever lived. Turn to another passage of scripture. We're almost done. Second Chronicles. Go back to Second Chronicles. Chapter 9. This is another situation that happened. I thought it was very interesting when I was reading through this. This was another situation that happened with Solomon. And uh, I began to read through this and I said, man, this is, this is something. <laughs> this is something. Ch chapter 9, just started verse 1, 2 Chronicles. It says, now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions having a very retinue, and what a retinue is, just like an advisor, you know, a bunch of advisors with you, and camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind, and Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, now what, listen to this list. The house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, and their clothing, his cupbearers, and their clothing, and his burnt offerings, 
that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And there was no more spirit in her. And she saw his entryway. That was, that's how you get up into the upper room. There was nothing left in her. Another way to say that, there was no more argument. <laughs> there was no more suspicion. She was reputed, the Queen of Sheba, to be the wealthiest queen in the world. Not only the wealthiest queen, but the wealthiest person in the world. The wealthiest monarch in the whole world. And, and when she came to visit him, uh, you know, look at what she brought. She brought gold in abundance. Most theologians might say that it was about 9,000 pounds. That's about 144,000 ounces. I don't know what gold goes for these days, but you can add that up as to how much she brought with her. All right? So she was, she was, it was reputed that she was the wealthiest. But not only the wealthiest, it was reputed that she was the wisest. You have to remember the Queen of Sheba was from the east. Could this possibly have been the same area that the three wise men came from when they came from the east? I mean, she came from an area where they loved knowledge. They, they, they loved uh, to try to be wiser than the They loved to debate. And they loved, high, they loved philosophy. And they loved all of those things. And so when she heard, hey, there's a king, there's a monarch, there's someone who is, uh, people are saying that's wealthier than me. And not only that, smarter than I am? I don't know. Let's go see about that. So I don't believe that she brought all this stuff just to, uh, you know, just to uh, say, well, I need some things on my journey. <laughs> I think that she brought all this to show Solomon how much she had. This is only a little bit that I'm bringing with this. This is how I roll. This is how I travel. Come on. This is what I do. When I leave, I go with 144,000 ounces of gold. Why? It's just what I do. It's just me. That's, that's what she was saying when she was coming to see Solomon. And so she comes with all these hard questions to test him, not to find out if Solomon really is, but to test him. But she sees how God blessed him. And here's, here's what turned her heart. When she saw Solomon go up into the presence of God, and when she saw uh, Solomon, who had all these things in the world, all the stuff, she saw all the stuff that Solomon had. When she saw that he had all that, but when she saw him go in, and prostrate himself. When she saw him go in and worship the Lord and put his face to the ground, there were no more questions in her. She had no more questions. Let me give you one last. That was, let me give you one last thing. Eze turn over to Ezekiel with me. Ezekiel chapter 46. This is it, the last thing. There was nothing left in her. Nothing left in her. What else could she say? When she saw how Solomon went into the presence of the Lord. Worship brings wisdom in our lives, folks. Come on. And then this, Ezekiel 46, look at verse number 9, last verse here. The Bible says, when the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed feast, he who enters by the north gate to worship shall go out by the south gate. And he who enters by the south gate shall go out by the north gate. No one shall return uh, by way of the gate by which he entered, but each shall go out straight ahead. In other words, he's saying, when you come into this tabernacle... Whichever way you come in, he's not telling you you have to come in a certain way. But if you come in by the north gate, guess what? Don't go out the north gate. I want you to go out the south gate. And those who live on the south, if you come in the south gate, don't go back out of the south gate. I want you to go out of the north gate. You know what I'm getting at already here. What is God saying here? He's saying that, listen, when you come into my presence, not just the church building. I'm not talking about this building, wood, hay, and stubble. But when you come into my presence, you'll never leave out the same way that you came in. 
And I believe that if we come into the presence of God and we leave out the same way that we can, nothing's changed, then we really haven't worshipped God. I believe Satan was telling you your underwear is showing. And you were concentrating on that. But God is telling us, come into my presence. We must learn how to worship God. We must learn how to worship.